Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Newsroom. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. You are listening to episode 20 of Newsroom. Since it is just a few days before Thanksgiving, I thought I would first briefly talk about what I'm grateful for this year. Practicing gratitude is so important and one of the best things to do for yourselves, yet sometimes I still forget to make it a priority. This year has been so fulfilling for me creatively. I first had the idea to start this podcast in February of this year, and ever since that moment, my thoughts have been consumed with creating content for you, learning about business, getting involved with my community, and making connections. I'm so grateful that I was given this opportunity from the universe and how it has allowed me to break out of my comfort zone and discover new passions. So with releasing this 20th episode, I'm thinking about how far I've come and how far I still have to go. I'm very proud that I have made it to 20 episodes. I know that seems like quite a small mile marker, but it is a mile marker nonetheless. I'm proud of the work that I have done and I'm excited to continue on with it and make the content better, meet new people and make connections. So with utmost gratitude, thank you so much to everyone that has shown their support and appreciation for the podcast. It brings me a lot of joy to know that this project has brought inspiration to you and I hope to continue to provide that. Thank you. So this week on the podcast, I'm sharing a conversation I had with my friend Regina. She is a fellow dancer and the founder and director of Dance Arts by Regina. She's extremely experienced with teaching dance, and you can also tell by the way she talks about it that she's also very passionate about it. The minute I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up, I knew I didn't even need to ask. She's wanted to be a dancer since she first saw the famous male dancer Barishnikov on TV dancing the Nutcracker. From that moment forward, dance has engulfed her entire life. In our conversation, she tells us about how a sign from her grandmother, who had passed away, gave her the reassurance that what she was doing at that point in her life was what she needed to be doing and where she needed to be. She talks about how she first started teaching dance and what it took to open a ballet studio. We also talk a lot about fear. But before I let you go, I have to let you know again that there will be some background noise. We recorded our conversation outside at Cleveland Tea Revival and there was a giant truck right outside the patio that eventually forced us to move away. So I do apologize for the noise, but this is still a great conversation and I had so much fun talking to Regina. It's also very long, so without further ado, here's my chat with Regina. you so much for coming to be on my podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. So I want to start kind of in the beginning of when you were a wee little Regina. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, I feel like I'm going to know what it is. 
I started watching the Barishnikov and Gelsey Kirkland okay. VHS of the Nutcracker in the late 80s, and that pretty much sealed the deal after I went to my first ballet class. I opened a little mini studio, like in my parents' house, <laughs> and made my sister my little sister learned ballet from me until she was old enough to take her own classes. But then we still did that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but then after that, I, um, this is kind of funny, I wanted to be an artist. Um, I was very proud of that for a long time, like a visual artist. Mm -hmm. I have no draw, I have no visual art oh, skills. No. Um, but I, I realized looking back on it that I wanted to be an artist because I didn't know how to write yet. And so then once I learned how to write, that's like my other love besides mm -hmm. dance is writing. Um, but when I was a little kid and I didn't know how to write yet, I like expressed that by saying, you know, that I wanted to create right. and tell stories. Yeah. And it turns out that whether it's through writing or through dance, yeah. that's like my big thing is mm -hmm. storytelling. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So you were little and you knew you wanted to be a dancer pretty much right away? Yes. Cool. So then what happened? I lots of pressure from the outside world to not do that mm -hmm. um, because it is such a difficult field to make a living in and to make it in and right. I'm putting quotes around make it um, and I went to a private all-girls high school and I remember sitting and telling my guidance counselor that I wanted to go to school and major in dance, and I was really strongly persuaded to not do that. And so I wound up going to Butler University anyway, yeah. which has a great ballet program. Right. Uh, but I also studied education, mm -hmm. as, and that wound up being sort of like my backup plan. And then my backup plan turned out to actually be a backup plan but the education that I got and everything I learned about education became 100% relevant to what I wound up doing right. with dance. When you were majoring in education were you teaching dance at all or was it any ever something you wanted to do? Yes uh, so one of my main teachers growing up asked me to become her like one of her student teachers when I was I was only 12 years old oh, wow. yeah and so I worked with her from the time I was 12 until I was 18 and I learned so much from her was um, that at Ohio Dance Theater no that was in Westlake at Tracy Veda Studio oh, of okay. Dance um, and I grew up actually all the way out in Sheffield Lake which is 30 miles I think west of Cleveland and so we would drive like over half an hour each way mm -hmm. to go to ballet yeah. uh, that was because that was like the closest place yeah, to us uh, we had a vineyard when I was little oh. um, that's a, another like art, artistic sort of business part of my family is mm -hmm. that we is that we make wine um, do they still make wine yeah oh we gosh, do really? yeah I didn't know that. Uh, we don't grow the grapes anymore though now we order them or get them buy them from California or if there's wildfires in California then we have to order them from Oregon what's like the specialty uh, Cabernet Sauvignon cool yeah we make a really really deep Cabernet it's Ooh. delicious where can I buy this uh, you can't buy it but okay. I can give you some okay, I'd love to try it <laughs> yeah that's so yeah. cool I didn't know that um, so yeah but my mentor really helped shape my ideas about teaching and then when I 
went to college, I was able to continue my education both in teaching children and in dance. And so that wound up leading me into a place where I was prepared to become a teacher Mm -hmm. after I graduated. Um, And I graduated from Butler and then and then I moved back home, as all good college kids do, and I lived with my parents for about six months. But it, it took me, I graduated in December, which is sort of strange, right. you know, it's different, but that's just how things worked out for me. And I got home over Christmas. So when you graduate in December, you have this Christmas break, you right. know, when you come mm-hmm. home or when you finish. And by the end of the holiday break, I had made the decision that I was going to pack everything up and move to California. And so I got a job at a restaurant and I kept teaching dance and just like kind of taking classes and saving up as much money as I possibly could. And then in August, so from I did that from December to August. And then in August, I packed up my car and my boyfriend at the time and I drove across the country like I had I didn't know anyone I didn't have a plan at all and I got there and it was before cell phones or before smartphones there were cell phones it was in 2007 and I got out the phone book and I looked up ballet schools and I started calling them like alphabetically to find out where I could find an adult ballet class Mm -hmm. or like a professional ballet class and I got to the B's and I called the Berkeley Ballet Theater. I went and took a class there and there, at the time their studios were in the Julia Morgan Center and all the walls were made out of redwood. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous space. And after I took the class, I went up and introduced myself to the teacher and thanked her for class. And I said that I had just moved here and was looking for work. And she asked me if I knew how to teach children. And I said, yes. And so this incredible ballet school, like very high level ballet school, hired me like that right out of school. And I was so nervous like to teach there. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I belong on your faculty with all these amazing professionals. And so how did you get past those kind of fraudy feelings that you were going through? Well, I think one of the things, I think knowing that they believed in me Mm -hmm. helped me believe in myself. That school had both an artistic director and something, they had a role called a principal, which I don't know any dance school here in Northeast Ohio that has one. Um, And the principal of the school, she served as like an additional mentor for me. And then the founder of the Berkeley Ballet Theater, Sally Streets, who like danced for New York City Ballet right when it was beginning, um, she would have little teaching chats with me too. And Mm -hmm. that really boosted my confidence because I could tell her something that I had tried and how it went. And she would talk with me in a real, in a very real way about it. And then the other thing is that one of the classes that I was assigned to teach at the Berkeley Ballet Theater was something called We Dance Together, which was their parent and child Mm -hmm. dance class. So I had all of these parents in the room with me, with their eyes on me. Mm -hmm. And if there are any parents that are hard to please, they would be the parents in Berkeley, California. You know, I mean, it is very, you know, organic and, and... High standards. Yeah, high standards. Yeah, high expectations. And... 
I had to get over that. I had to get over the self-consciousness of being in a room with two and three-year-olds and like acting crazy and having fun with them and being confident in what I was doing. And um, I think that having all of those outside views helped me see myself. And also, honestly, moving across the country Mm -hmm. and being in a totally new place, I was able to build myself a way that I wanted things to be Um, I don't know if that really made sense but it's like when you make a move that's that big and you're in such a new and different place yeah and you just you have to find out it forces you to find out who you are Uh, I strongly recommend to anyone that's considering making a big move like that to go for it because even if you just do it for even if you just do it for a couple of months Mm -hmm. it literally doesn't matter you can always pack up and move home Mm -hmm. and my parents said that to me as I was pulling out the driveway you know that whatever happens you can always come back Um, but when I got there yeah it was absolutely terrifying and my grandmother who I was named after and who I was very close with passed away the day that I got to California oh so it was this very like emotional time so were you for able me. to go back to um, I I didn't come back they didn't hold a, they might have held a small funeral mm-hmm. but then we had a big service for her over Thanksgiving mm-hmm. so I came home then wow. um, but the, you know that was really really challenging yeah. but uh, this doesn't have anything to do with what you've asked me to come here and talk about but um when I so like two days maybe after she had passed away when I was out in California and I was feeling so scared about everything Mm -hmm. I had to get my California's driver's California driver's license so I was in this big line at the DMV and I could have been called up to any one of like 30 or 40 different desks and I'm standing there you know waiting for them to call what number and I get called up to a particular desk after waiting and I walk up and for some reason they they have these giant name tags. I mean, not name tags, name plates. I mean, they're like 12 inches long and they're huge. The lettering is giant and they're wood and you can't miss them. And out of all the desks I get called up to, the one that I'm standing at, the name plate said Regina Henry, which was my grandmother's name. Regina Henry. Yeah. Oh my God. So that was like her telling me that you're doing okay. Yeah. That's amazing. It was insanely powerful. Because I feel like at that time you probably were feeling like maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I should be at home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's like magic. That's for sure her. Yeah. That's so cool. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after that happened, you were still, you were in California, still teaching at Berkeley Ballet Theater. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then what happened? How long were you there? I stayed in California for two years. Mm-hmm. I danced a little bit. I taught a lot of dance. I met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I got used to this totally different way of life. Uh, the energy on the West Coast is very different than it is in the Midwest and very different than it is on the East Coast, mm-hmm. too. I'm sure I've never lived on the East Coast, but just from visiting. And you know, going hiking at different places every weekend or every break that I would have, you know, I could go camping at some amazing location like Yosemite or Big Sur or, you know, um, 
places in northern northern california or oregon so it was really great um I also wound up getting a job to pay the bills at a public school and I started substitute teaching and then they liked me and they asked me to take a full-time role so I started teaching high school English um, to mostly actually 100 no not 100 percent maybe about 90 percent of my students were had English as their second language Mm -hmm. and I do not speak Spanish I took French (laughs) because I'm a ballet ballet dancer so um, I learned so much about different cultures Um, there were a lot of Pacific Islander people there as well so I learned so I think I might have learned more from my students in those two years than they learned from me Mm -hmm. um and it was such, it was a lot of hard work. The public school system is very challenging to work within, and the school that I was in had performed poorly on standardized tests, so they had gotten under the control of the state, which meant that we had extra rules to comply with, and it was it was very intense, and uh, there was a lot of gang activity at the school. I broke up a gang fight once. Oh which you're not supposed to do, but... How did that go down? I had one class where about half of my students were um, in this Soreño gang, and the other half was in this Norteño gang. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, I mean, it was pretty serious stuff. And the one day they, these two boys who had been having a thing for a while, and, you know, every once in a while one would ask me to walk with him at lunch or to come into my room at lunch ninth grade it was ninth grade yeah so 13 I think Mm -hmm. is how old you are 14 um and yeah one day they just started going at it and so I I think I stepped in between them which was really silly but I was 23 and I thought that you know I could change the world um, which everyone can change the world but I was fearless and um, I was able to kind of shout out for this down uh, out into the courtyard because in California all the schools have courtyards instead of like indoor hallways and so I shouted out and a security guard came up Um, but it was you know a lot of it was hard to uh, leave work at work in that situation and I was going home with a lot of baggage and every day and every weekend and uh, very worried about my students all the time Mm -hmm. and their families and I I still had this big dream that I wanted to open a studio or a school and I decided that if I was going to do it that I needed to take steps to make it happen and I while I was teaching I couldn't envision just jumping right from that to opening a dance school Mm -hmm. that didn't seem to make sense so I decided to look into arts administration programs and realized that the University of Akron which was is near where I grew not near where I grew up but you know um, close to Cleveland um, that they had a, a good arts administration program master's degree program um, and that you were able and that since 
uh, University of Akron also had a dance program, I felt like that would be or could be a good fit for me. And so I researched the program and applied and got accepted. And I decided that that was going to be the way for me to transition into mm-hmm. a new phase in my life. Yeah. And at that time, by that time, I was 25, and I I had really wanted to start my studio by the time I was 30. Somehow, I felt like, you know, I would have lots of energy in my 20s, which is true. Um, and so I started. And so I packed everything up and yeah. and moved home. Yeah. yeah. And I really wasn't sure about Ohio for a little while after yeah, I moved how back. How was moving back? Because before you moved to California, you had just came back from Butler, and you were in Ohio for a few months. Did you have friends when you came back? Like, what was No, like? I did not have friends. Mm-hmm. I had, I mean, I sort of had, like, my high school friends. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you sort of start taking different paths mm-hmm. in life, and... I, but luckily when I started grad school, I met new people that way. And in graduate school, in the arts administration program at UA, we were really, really encouraged to attend as many arts events as possible. And so that gave all the arts administration students an excuse to get together and, you know, hey, we should go to this show and we Mm -hmm. can hang out before or after or whatever. Um, And so... And it was people who wanted to talk about the same things that I wanted to talk about. So that was great. It still was a difficult transition because I moved back here and no one was really into recycling. And, you know. What year was that? It was 2009. Mm -hmm. And the city of Cleveland was a little um, quieter than it is now. I mean, I think the resurgence of things was just sort of starting. Um, I remember moving back or I, you know, I just had to find my people, I guess, um, because when I moved back, I remember really wanting to go to like events at the Cleveland Art Museum and it was hard to find people who wanted to come with me. I don't have that problem anymore, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, uh, and there's a lot more events now to go to. And that was something that I struggled with initially when I came back here because, in California, there was always so you didn't even have to try. You know, you could just be walking down the street and run into something going on, yeah. or you know, there were so many things to do every weekend or you know, in, in your time, spare time, um, that you couldn't do at all. But in Cleveland, I struggled with that a little Finding bit. Even a few things. Yeah. From, yeah. Um, but even you know, so many things like didn't hadn't. Uh, been started in Cleveland yet like this the entire Hingetown neighborhood didn't really exist yet Uh, so and so many different events like the neighborhood that I live in now Tremont was even a lot quieter Mm -hmm. at that time Um, so it's been really great to watch especially a lot of the people who I feel like are in my generation kind of step up and make the city into a place that's really a great place to live yeah yeah it's evolved so much yes amazing yeah Yeah. it's um it's not embarrassing to say that you're from Cleveland you know now now it's like I'm proud to say yeah it's like the cool place to be from now totally so you moved back here and you were in the arts administration program how long were you doing that for? It's a two-year program. And so the funny thing is that while I was in the arts administration program, 
somehow when I graduated from the arts administration program, instead of going into administration, I started dancing full-time with a company, <laughs> uh, which I don't think is the typical outcome of like working towards yeah. administration. How did that happen? Well, I started interviewing with a group um, that I was going to work in administration for, and then I realized that the guy was trying to con me. Like, he just did not seem like he was legit, and I wound up being right about that. Um, and so when that job didn't pan out, and I was going to be, like, leading preschool dance programs mm -hmm. at a bunch of different daycare centers in yeah. urban areas, and I was kind of excited about it. I was very excited about yeah. it, I would say. It was right up my alley. Um, and then I realized that the guy who said he was starting this company was not credible. And the arts community in this area is so wonderful because even it wasn't anyone in dance that told me that. It was some people that I had met in the arts administration program who were in theater. and But they knew this guy and they were able, and you know, I kind of started asking around and then these friends of mine told me he was not legit and that I should watch out and so then I didn't have a job prospect and I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do but I knew I was a good teacher so I got a handful of teaching gigs sort of like piecemeal work and then I had been taken taking open classes at Cleveland City Dance for a long time and I met another dancer in the area and she asked me if I would be interested in joining the company that she was a part of. I had been taking open classes. I met this lovely dancer named Anna and she was like, hey, how do you feel about wearing some pink tights? And I gave her kind of a funny look and I wasn't really sure about it because I hadn't performed in a while. Right. And then I thought, well, what else do I have to do? And so I went out and I auditioned and then that was that. Um, and then what wound up happening is, uh, so as I was working for Ohio Dance Theater, the master's thesis that I had written for my graduate degree was something that my director was super interested in. I wrote my thesis on the emotional, wait, the effects of dance education on the emotional intelligence of underserved students. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in outreach. I still am really interested in outreach. Um, but so my director asked me to lead her outreach program and then she sent me to New York to wow. attend the uh, National Dance Institute training with Jacques D'Amboise. Mm. It was seriously the most transformative experience yeah, of I my life. I know a life. couple other people who have done that. That's oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. It's, wow. Whew, it, it, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So worth it. It was so powerful. And so then I took over the outreach program. And then after that, she asked me to take over the school. So then that happened. And I got all this amazing experience working on grants and um, hiring teachers and creating schedules and 
brainstorming about programming and I was still dancing and teaching and it was like pretty much the dream. Um, and, but sometimes you can be doing your dream and it can still just like not be the right fit. And that's what happened to me. And that's, that's okay because it's just part of the journey. And so I did leave that position and then I went back to sort of like piecemeal teaching and freelance performing. And, but I knew that all through that I was trying to find the next fit for myself which kind of leads into how I started my studio yeah so how did that opportunity come to you it's pretty crazy I had gone to New York to do some auditions when I was in New York I got an email about doing a piece for a movie in LA, but working on it in Cleveland. Hmm. I went, I re, you know, I was so excited to get back to Cleveland. I had to find a partner. So I reached out to a dancer I had never had a conversation with in my entire life, but who I knew like just from seeing him around, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Murphy. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. he was totally game to do this like film thing with me. Mm-hmm. So we went and we did these crazy rehearsals at like 11 o'clock at night for this guy. And we were, we had our, then we were supposed to go to LA and we had our bags all packed and he almost cut his hair. He has very long curly hair for those listening who do not know Brian. And then the guy disappeared. The choreographer evap, like literally evaporated. Okay. So how long Never, were you working on this? We worked on it for probably, um, I think totally to- a total of eight hours or so. Okay. Uh, so not very long, but it was like when we were working on it, it was these crazy late hours yeah. and we had done some cool work. I should go back and watch that video, but, um, he just evaporated and I don't know if the movie ever got made or anything. Um, but I did not go to LA that week, but what did happen was Brian and I became friends mm-hmm. and I was in a still sort of transitioning and deciding what my next big thing was going to be. And he was sort of in the same place. And he introduced me to these people in North Royalton who had a studio space and no director and they were running a nonprofit and the director had resigned and had left to start teaching in her own space and there weren't any students left either at this location. So there was a building and a board of directors and a really nice Marley floor and mirrors. And Brian said to me, I don't know, Regina, I don't know. He was pretty unsure about it. And I felt pretty unsure also. And then I kept thinking about it and I just let myself like be in the situation And at the time, I mean, I was really freelancing. Like I did not have any steady employment. I was, I was making my living through guest teaching and doing like odd, like one-off things. And that's a crazy, crazy way to make a living. Uh, Like I was not on faculty at any studio. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Brian and I had a talk one night and he said something that I had had in the back of my mind, but I had been too scared to say out loud, like even just to myself. And he said, why don't you buy them out? 
And I thought, oh, oh. That's a huge step. Oh. And I remember I was out at a very loud bar with some of my friends from high school. And I remember stepping outside to have that conversation with Brian and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know. And, and then I went back and like, you know, finished my drink and my pizza or whatever. And it just, this idea just kept rolling around in my head. And I mm -hmm. thought, how could I do this? How, how could I do this? Is this real? Do I want to do this? Could I do this? Do I want to do this? Could I do this? And like those things kept rolling around in my head. And then, you know, I started talking to people about it, figuring out how I could make it real notebooks full of brainstorming and making lists like so many I made so many lists an enormous amount of lists mm -hmm. I love making lists <laughs> and then I one of my friends who um, is a filmmaker and who has worked for years like to get his films into theaters you know or to festivals and it's you know it's very hard work to even make a film and then to have it be seen and you know so if anyone knows about putting their heart into their art and he said to me that the only way that I could fail was if I didn't do it yeah and I still think about that almost every single day because it's never perfect like running a business is never perfect and I mean nothing's ever perfect but you know when you're running a business the things that the imperfections are like all around you all the time and you know your unfinished to-do list is is there but knowing always knowing that I'm doing it and that the only way to succeed is to keep doing it um, through whatever happens and going back to that original thought of you know the only way you can fail is right. to not try mm -hmm. is to have is to have created this idea to have this idea to have this feeling and to not follow through with it um that that in some ways is failure oh absolutely and, and that's like the theme of this podcast almost I I love, love that I love talking about fear and failure and just you never know if you're going to fail unless you try and chances are you might not fail so right mm -hmm. and you know i i was looking through some articles online of i was looking some ballet history things up for my students a few weeks ago and i came across this article about the beginning of new york city ballet mm -hmm. And I never knew this, that uh, George Balanchine started like three different ballet companies and they oh. all, they failed. Really? Like his first companies failed and then like the other one failed. And then I think, I don't know if it was two iterations or three iterations that completely failed. That's and, so helpful to know for and, people starting something. Right? And this is like the person that's considered the ultimate genius of choreography and you know who started ballet in America he's the entire reason why everyone puts on a nutcracker every year you yeah. know is this man but he failed so hard before he started or you know before he found his success with New York City Ballet um, but even you know even knowing that it's like no matter there's, there's always a next level that you can be looking at moving towards, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, failure isn't even 
a real I don't know it's like is that even a real concept like how so you know I own my dance studio how could I fail at my dance studio uh, I mean, I guess if I had to go out of business, I could, I could look at that as a, as a failure. <laughs> um, but, but I don't know. I don't think that I would. No. Because it still has succeeded for, I'm in my third season, yeah. and I have made all these things happen, and they've been real, and they've been powerful, and, and no one could ever take away any of those experiences that... I've gone through or that my students have gone through or that the audience members who've come to see my performances and productions have gone through. Um, and understanding that is hard to do. You know, like it can be hard to do on a mm -hmm. daily basis, but it's also really empowering. Yeah. And I think I was thinking about us having this conversation today and I think the most special thing for me with what I get to do every day is knowing that everything in my life is shaped by the energy that comes from my heart. Mm -hmm. And I get to decide like whatever that is on a week-to-week -week basis. I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, but as far as thinking of bigger picture things, and ways that I, like ideas that I might have or like ways that I develop programming, that all stems from the energy that I want, that I feel that I have inside of me that I want to mm -hmm. see come to life in re the reality that we're in. And I don't know, does that make sense? I think it does. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, as opposed to having external forces mm -hmm. drive... Oh, absolutely. ...anything on, a, you know, anything that you do. I mean, obviously, like, I have... To, and that's the hard part, is that I do have to pay the bills. They have due dates, and those are externally <laughs> driven. <is>. Yeah. <laughs> and I get... Even though I have very nice conversations with the people at my bank, um, you know, and sometimes they they can help erase late fees if I explain things to them. Um, but, you know, as opposed that I'm able to direct my life outwardly from my heart yeah. is really meaningful to mm -hmm. me. And, and it, that goes back to when you were in high school talking to your guidance counselor and that external force telling you that you should not be a dancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never connected those things. But yeah, it's hard when you're 17 to be like, no, this is what my energy is telling me I need to do. Yeah. So, okay, Mr. Guidance Counselor, who I won't name, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and at the high school that I won't name. But yeah, that makes sense. I think people definitely need to be reminded of that, not to let the external forces drive what you yourself is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the books that I read, I, I can't believe I only read it this past summer because I feel like it has had such a, it's so me, is the book The Alchemist. Have you ever read that I book? I have. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that was a black and white 
explanation. You know, it was like, yes, following that heart energy is the right thing. You know, it is, it is meaningful. It can be hard at times, but it's worth it. Yeah. So I want to get back to that, those first beginning stages of how you opened your business, but how I want to touch on this first, how do you decipher between what is your heart energy and what is an external force influencing you? Like basically how do you, how do you really tune into your intuition to decipher that? I think I'm still learning about that Mm -hmm. a lot, but what seems, what I seem to have learned so far about that is, it's really hard to put into words, I guess, Time is important with that because if if I'm just in the logical part of my brain, or like the rational yeah. part of my brain, then thoughts might be coming quickly and those things might feel real um, in the moment, but then they also sort of feel forced. And so when I... Sometimes I, I'll take, maybe I'll take those types of thoughts in, but then I'll sit on them for a while and see if they feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that kind of can clue me into if it's the right direction for me to move yeah. in or not. And honestly, meditation and writing and giving myself time and space and remaining open and it's hard to remain open sometimes. Um, but yeah, whether something is a good idea, whether whether I think, let's say I have an idea and whether that seems like it's a good idea because maybe I saw someone else doing it and subconsciously, you know, maybe I saw right. another dance studio yeah. doing this thing and then suddenly I think I should do it. For example, uh, making a picture frame for kids to stand yeah. in on their first day of class. And, you know, oh, is that a good idea? Well, sure, that's a, that's a good idea. But that, does that really feel like it's an expression of... Your purpose. Yes. And does it? No, it doesn't feel that way. So I, <laughs> so I made one and uh, it's like trashed and sitting in the corner of an of my office at the studio because it just wasn't the right thing it Mm -hmm. wasn't um you know but but what was the right thing for my studio was we did I had this idea of well why don't um I come up with a couple of ballet puns and then I wrote them on a whiteboard in the studio and had everybody vote on how which pun we're which ballet pun we're going to put on our next shirt cool and that didn't feel weird you know like and and it's I mean, they sound they sound like little things, but it's like you know when you're uh, when you're directing something, every day is full of these little ideas mm-hmm. that you have, and then have to push for you know push forward in some way. And it, I think that my tendency is to have a lot of ideas and then let them simmer, and from there I can decide which ones feel correct in moving forward and then the ones that aren't correct either you know then those never get implemented Mm -hmm. um 
because, or, you know, maybe I'll start working on something and then it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and understanding that that's okay mm-hmm. too, you know, that you don't have to, that can be hard as a business owner, you know, because instead of having a boss or a director saying to you like, okay, more of this, less of that, right. you have you know, to be that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it really helps me to talk with people too. So it, it definitely helps that my boyfriend is a dancer and a very passionate dance educator and choreographer because then, you know, when we're in having, and I have a few other friends in my life who are like that, who I can really talk about something with and, you know, we can roll ideas around and then you sort of feel that energy. Like, is this something that feels like it's spiraling in a good way or Mm -hmm. spiraling in a bad way? Um, and that, and that is a lot of fun. That's probably the most fun Mm -hmm. is to be able to have great people, to share and grow your ideas yeah, with. Absolutely. I yeah. agree. Business besties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to <clears throat> the beginning stages of you opening the studio. So you were kind of toying with the idea of can I do this and do I want to do this? So when was the point where you actually decided to take the leap? I think I started talking about it in late April of 2016 it took about a month for me to make the decision and I thought about it every day I made some like pros and cons lists not super helpful honestly because the weight of different things was you know one pro can outweigh many cons you know so um I did that, and it was at least helpful to like meditate on it. Um, and I think, do you mean more like how it happened, or like literally when it happened? Um, I guess both. What did that journey look like? Well, so you know, my friend that enc- that encouraged me by saying the only way you can fail is to not try it. Uh, also encouraged me with financial backing um, and I had some other really I mean I I'm an artist so how could I start a business yeah I already had student loans I still have student loans so I wasn't going to take out a business loan Um, but in talking to people and talking about the idea and then in 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 realizing that I could do it it felt like, like that was it. It was yeah. like, okay, when I, when I had talked to enough people and put things around in my own mind enough as far as the finances, like once I had created a spreadsheet, which was very difficult, like a, you know, cash flow sheet with money, you know, projected money coming in and out and what would that look like with a certain number of students and what did I think I could do and how much did I think certain things were going to cost. And when I looked at those things, it really seemed like I, I could really do Mm -hmm. it. And then once, once the black and white was like, Oh yeah, okay, this is real. Then it was kind of, that was extremely motivating. Um, and it helped me get over the fear of it. And I, 
And I think part of the fear of it wasn't necessarily that I was going to fail. Um, honestly, what my fear was is because I have been in the dance studio world for so much of my life. I was scared to become a school director. I've known a lot of school directors. Yeah. I I can see or I could see before I went into this what a stressful job it could be. Mm-hmm. And I've I've seen different directors handle it in very different ways and I was scared that I would that I wouldn't be able to handle myself and that I would turn into crazy stressed pulling my hair out studio director and I I didn't want to be that person I don't want to be that person and I don't want to be a a I don't I also don't want to be a harsh person and you know rules and and that was scary to me Um, and so I had to figure out and that was really like where the decision was and then I sort of had this moment where I was like okay well you're either going to be working for other studio directors who are going to be approaching things in their own ways Mm -hmm. and you're going to be within those systems. Okay. Or you are going to create your own environment and your own way, your own, uh, little, little world. Each, you know, every studio is a little world. I'm sure that, I'm sure that, um, places like uh, karate studios or martial arts studios I'm sure that there's a similar thing but you know a, a dance studio is is the dancer's second home yeah you know there's a culture that develops um, and so I it really hit me that like wow I this is my opportunity to exist in a culture that I can define and so that it doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be full of drama, which dance studios can also often have, you know, a drama club. Um, and that was really what pushed me to go mm-hmm. for it. Cool. So yeah. then you did go for it. And yes. then how did, how did you go? There's so many things that go into starting a business. So what were some of those things that you had to do to get it open? Um, oh my gosh, I was like on, a, I felt like starting my business because I didn't sign, first I had to negotiate a deal, okay? So that is not something in my wheelhouse. So, and I was buying out a nonprofit. Nonprofits can't, they're nonprofits, so they can't profit on the sale of their assets. They can just sell them for face, like whatever they're actually worth. So I had to learn depreciation calculations yeah like I (laughs) I don't like all of this went into my head for this period of time and I no longer know how to do any (laughs) of this okay but like I had to figure out I had to call the flooring company and be like okay in at in 10 years ago you sold this floor I need to know exactly how much it was you know cost at that time and then I had to do these calculations and I had to figure like every stitch that was inside the building that I wanted I had to figure out what it was originally worth and what it was worth now, you know, um, 10 years later or whatever. And then I had to get them, I had to get the other party to agree to that. So there was a bit, there was a bit of negotiation and I will say I was so nervous because it was just me. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have anybody that I was doing it with. So I, 
I had to talk them down from a number that I wasn't going to pay. And I, I was scared, a little nervous. And so I had this like whole thing I had typed up and like all my reasonings in my head. And I, I had a great coach, actually one of my students' moms is like a life coach. And she kind of like helped me understand some things about negotiations. Uh, and the big thing that she told me was to like put the number out there and then not say anything, not, not be like, oh, well, I, I put this number because of this, just to be really professional about it. And here it is. And so I put on like my only business looking dress that I own and really bright lipstick, like really red lipstick. Cause I was like, all right, I'm a businesswoman now. And I went in and I handed the number over and I didn't say anything. And then there was like this gaping look on the person I was negotiating with's face. And he told me he would need to think about it and talk with the board of directors. And because I was negotiating with the president of the board. And then they called me back a day later and told me they accepted the offer and then I did a dance in I was in the parking lot of a school uniform company because my friend's family owns this school uniform company in the area school bells and uh, I was helping her out with fittings as like one of my little odd jobs that I was doing and so I had just arrived and um, and it was really cool because it was this family that I've known for so long and mm-hmm. they have this family business and right. then they like watched me as I was like birthing mm-hmm. my own business. But that was on, we signed the paperwork on June 28th and I needed to start classes in September. So I basically went, that's why I, I say it's like a scavenger hunt because I was just like, okay, I made a giant list was it really a giant list? It wasn't really one list. It was like lists everywhere. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, go. And I spent a lot of time writing and like writing up, you know, what my classes were going to be like, mm-hmm. what my website was going to be like. Like I had to think through all of this stuff. And even though I had, syllabus even though I so had much. been thinking about it since I was four, like, and I had yeah. already done it. I mean, I had already run a dance school, mm-hmm. you know? But even with all of that, it was so far beyond anything. You know, there's no way you can be ready until right. you do it. Yeah. And then I, I just did it. And I, you know, everyone is so helpful. Like even the guy at the bank that I go to in Tremont, the manager there, or one of the managers, you know, it, it's like you feel like you have all these cheerleaders along the way because people, it's exciting to own your own business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when... I went into the bank and went to open my own account and the manager was like, oh, well, first you have to get, you know, your thing from the secretary of state. And I was like, okay. And I came back less than a week later and he, his jaw dropped to the floor when he saw me and he was like, no one ever comes in. No one ever follows through this fast, you know? And I was like, yes, that's going to be me. I'm going to do this. And then I did. And I, my best friend is... an amazing graphic designer and she told me and the guidance counselor at our high school also told her that she should not become an artist and she's an incredible artist and she made me like six different logos that I got to choose from and so I chose my logo and she helped me build a website and and like you know even helped me think about how to start building a website Mm -hmm. and then I drove out to Chicago where she and her husband live and we spent this 
awesome weekend building a website. It was, it was so much fun. It was super fun. Um, and then I had some of my students' parents wanted to help me like paint the space and like create, you know, what it was going to be like yeah. there. And then I had, and then I had to find teachers and I wanted to find really good people. And I was scared that it was late in the game and I wasn't going to find, I really wanted to find a good contemporary teacher. And then I called Mary Elizabeth yeah. mm-hmm. and she she had to like switch some things around I think like I think her and another dancer had to flip-flop some days and then she called me back one night and told me that she you know accepted the position and I was like oh my gosh I'm so lucky that I'm getting these amazing people like my logo is amazing my website is amazing and all of the relationships that I had developed like over the last 10 years in or less than 10 years I guess but um, Mm -hmm. you know handful of years in the Cleveland area really like came through to help me in you know when I went to do it um, when I went to open my business and so you feel like already from the very beginning like you're making community out Mm -hmm. of nothing you know Mm -hmm. and that's very exciting that's so great and you you, I think people have to remember that people are more willing to help than you would expect yes and I'm still learning that Mm -hmm. because sometimes it, it sometimes can be hard you know to ask for help especially from your own clients, you know, in my case, Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, I have my students and then like asking for help from their families. Um, but they'll always remind me and they're, and so many of them are so wonderful. And, you know, so many people say to me when they know that I own, have opened my dance school or that I do own a dance school, like so many other dancers and teachers say to me, oh, I could never do that. Oh, the parents. They always say it's because of the parents, like that they would love to do it. But, you know, the parents. And I don't get it because parents are people, Mm -hmm. you know, and it turns out that if you treat people, I don't know, in three years, it hasn't really been an issue for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, parents want the best for their children and I want the best for their children also. Yeah. Um, and I respect that, you know, they, sometimes they have different opinions than I do because they're the parent and I am a ballet instructor, but that doesn't mean that we can't communicate and come to an understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and bridge the divide between the, you know, my understanding as a teacher and their understanding as a parent. Um, and it's just, all you have to do is find common ground. Um, and the common ground is obviously that you both care about the child, you know, and want the best for them. And if the parent maybe doesn't understand, uh, something about dance training then that can easily be communicated communicated. Mm -hmm. and on the other side if a parent if there's something that I need to understand about the family dynamics uh, or the child's personality and what the child needs then I'm happy to communicate with the parent in order to understand that better yeah Mm -hmm. you know and and that's really important and then and then parents are are great you know like yeah, they are. It's not an issue. Right. 
So since so this is your third season. Yes. What has evolved since you first opened your doors? Um. Well, one of the things I guess that I hadn't really expected. Um, well, things that have evolved. I mean, the culture has evolved. Uh, it's just become this place, and I don't. Sometimes I don't recognize it until I'm outside of it and then like a few times I've been out doing something and then I come into my studio when there's something going on there and I feel what it feels like there and that is very exciting and it it's like oh like I did this like I made this I made this space Mm -hmm. where kids can be this way and express themselves in this way and um and obviously that couldn't just happen on the first in the first season you know it took time for that to develop and it's gone through different you know it's sort of there's like waves with the way that things feel at the studio I guess and sometimes things the energy feels like really strong and like it's growing and then other times things feel calmer and uh, more homey I yeah. guess at the studio and um, the other thing one another thing that's evolved is now that I'm in the third season some of the girls who were kind of like the younger ones when I opened so maybe if like one of the girls was not eight or nine you know now she's 11 and turning 12 and she's helping me with the younger classes Mm -hmm. and it's a short amount of time but you know going from age eight to age 11 is a huge difference in a child you know so there's, excuse me, there's been that. Um, and another thing, a couple other things that have happened that I probably wasn't really expecting is I, I started a few adult classes and that has kind of created its own little separate community. And, and I also have several groups that use my space to rehearse and so I have a lot of like different professional dancers from the mm-hmm. area that come in um, and use the space, and that is another layer and like level of of dance arts that is still, you know, I'm not sure where that's going to go, yeah. but it's clearly it's kind of shaping itself on its own, even without me deciding. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of going in its own direction yeah. and. You know, I rehearse things there sometimes, and I and that's going to continue to happen more. Right. Um, and so that's exciting, and I feel like I've been using the word exciting a lot. That's okay, but it is. It's yeah. true. So, um, and then another. What's the other thing that has been happening? Oh, in school programming. So I just got a huge. Like, the school wants 20 weeks of programming from my team and I over the course of this year, which is pretty major. And, like, they're willing to find the money for it. Um, and, you know, anyone who's in the arts will know that that's, like, the uh, that's like finding the holy grail, you yeah. know? Like, a school that wants you to be there is going to mm-hmm. carve out the time and find the money. Pretty incredible. Um, and so I think I'm going to keep building that, too. And I have sort of recently just kind of decided to look at all of this with complete openness 
and I've stopped judging myself so mm -hmm. much because I think at first I was really like, uh, what do I, I'm a dance studio owner now. Like what, what do I have to do to fulfill this role? And there, of course, like I, yeah, I have to file taxes. I have to, you know, there's certain things that are black and white and you, you do have to do, but, um, I'm trying to honor my own space with that. Yeah. Um, and, and just like let things happen mm -hmm. and finding comfort I'm trying to find more comfort in the space between making things happen and letting things happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a something to think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have shared so much with us today and I'm so thankful. And this went on for so much longer and I'm so excited <laughs> about that. It's great. I just have one more question for you. What is something that keeps you inspired and motivated to keep going and just keeps you in your groove kids mm -hmm. I haven't been able to say that and really truly feel it Ooh. since probably since I opened the studio nice. but now that it has been open for three years working with new kids the new newer students and seeing where they are with their creativity and then seeing the students that I've been working with for years. And how much they grow. Yeah, and my whole thing is possibilities. Like that, I teach ballet, you know, but I think I really want, I really teach the ability to see the possible. And being able to watch children's brains open up to that not and I don't even mean like point your foot okay that's yeah. also gratifying but it's not really about that mm -hmm. it's the possibilities and allowing them to open up to that is and seeing it happen and seeing those moments I'm not saying it to be trite that's how our world will change yeah it's the only way that it will is if we let people dream beyond what they can see and what they can like touch now mm -hmm. and so to be able to start that with kids when they're young and then continue to nurture it even when they're older I'm very lucky that mm -hmm. I get to do that and I am lucky that I, I'm so grateful that parents trust their children yeah. with me and mm -hmm. will allow me the space to make those changes mm -hmm. and to inspire their children in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's so valuable. And I'm so glad that you're doing that work. Thanks, Katie. Not everyone can do that work. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me and for inspiring me to think about all of these things oh, and talk yeah. about them. I appreciate how open you were just sharing everything and it helps for people to hear all of the nitty gritty and just, yeah, yeah. it was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. that's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Regina. I hope it gave you some insight into what it takes to start a business and I hope you feel a little more inspired. Thank you Regina again for coming on the podcast and for sharing so openly. 
If this podcast inspired you or resonated with you at all, please consider sharing it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. iTunes reviews are the best way to support the podcast right now, and they help so much to get the podcast in front of a wider group of people, which will then help me to bring on more guests and create better content for you. So if you have not done so, please consider leaving a review. Your support would really mean a lot to me. Thank you. And again, thank you for listening. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Think about what you're grateful for this year, and maybe we can chat about it on Instagram. So I will see you next week with an episode with Anne from Oseon. And until then, let's chat on Instagram. I'm at Museroom Podcast, or you can shoot me an email if you have any questions to museroompodcast at gmail.com. If you have anyone that you would like to see on the podcast, or if you're someone that would like to be a guest on the podcast, you can let me know by DMing me on Instagram or sending an email to the email I just mentioned. So thank you again. Happy Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you later. Bye.